or that have a burden for our kids. I'll tell you, we, we do anything for our kids, and we, uh, we know that they're the future of our church, and it's just an incredible time, so we're looking forward to uh, every year. It's hard to think how it could get better, but then every year it does get better, so we just thank the Lord for that. Well, today we're going to be back in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 12 to be exact. As you know, we have been for the last year or so coming through the book of Proverbs, uh, verse by verse, word by word. Um, We decided to do that because of basically where our church is at with so many ministries that we have going and people working with people and helping me and all the different opportunities that we get to preach and to open up the Word of God with people that I felt like it as a church it was time to go through probably the single book in the Bible that really deals with the issues of life. I, I don't know of another book in the Bible that covers everything that you and I will ever face uh, in life. Book of Proverbs, as far as I am concerned, is the soul of the Bible. It contains uh, the very uh, essence of everything that uh, uh, you find throughout the rest of the Bible. And you're going to see an example of that today. We were off the last four weeks, really five weeks. I was gone last week, and Bob filled in for me and did a great job. But uh, the four weeks before that, we had taken time and were going through the 18 steps uh, that has put America where she's at today based on, uh, you know, the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage and, and where we're at as a country. And I think that was very helpful to you. I know many of you will use that material, and it will help you in dealing with people and talking with people, and it already has. So, But today we're going to be back in Proverbs chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up in Proverbs 12, verse 10. And uh, the verse says this, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we ask your Father to help us today as we glean from your word. We thank you so much for our church and for the men and the women that I know personally here that love you and love the word of God and for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us and the ministries and the people we keep meeting and reaching and that you keep bringing our way. We just love you for it, Father, and help us to always stay true to your word and to preach it, Father, with the zeal that will affect others. And we'll just thank you today and bless us and give us what you have for us. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, you have heard me say uh, many times, and in fact, I started off this morning with it, the importance of the book of Proverbs. It contains the issues of life. And how that Proverbs in the Old Testament will be the principles behind uh, the stories of life. I don't know of anything that you and I will ever face, that we'll get into, that we'll have to deal with, that uh, we cannot go back to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is so deep and has so much depth to it that uh, if we spent three, four years going through it, uh, which we may, but if we spent three or four years going through it, I guarantee you we could start back in the beginning again, come through it again, and find uh, just that much more material that we missed the first time. It's an incredible book. Uh, everything goes back to the book of Proverbs. And when you have the ability, and this is where I try to get you to be, when you as a Christian have the ability uh, to pull all of it together, the stories in the New Testament, the issues of your life, and take it back to the fundamental book of Proverbs and put it all together, then you're now able to really learn some things about your Bible. Uh, I have a phrase that I... I use, and I use it not in the Bible, it's my own invention, but it's come to my uh, way of thinking over the years uh, when I look at the Bible and I look at people. And it's a simple phrase simply called a working knowledge of the Word of God. A lot of people know things about the Bible, but that doesn't mean you know the Bible. And for me, and my goal for you, it always has been since day one. We're going to have anniversary Sunday next week and be 12 years now we've been a church. Nothing's changed from the first service we ever had. My goal for you is to help you get to the point where you can take the Bible and you can take the issues of life and the things you have to struggle with or the people you work with or the people you have to deal with or just reading your Bible and getting into Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Romans, or Thessalonians, or wherever. And when you find those principles, being able to go back and pull it all together 
and come away with a complete understanding of, of what is going on with that particular situation. To me, that is called a working knowledge of the Word of God. Having the Bible work for you, knowing how to get the Bible to work for you, knowing how to orchestrate the things in the Word of God that bring about your understanding of what you're dealing with, what you're up against. Somebody said one time, I read this years and years ago, that the Old Testament will reveal the New Testament, that basically that the New Testament is contained in the Old Testament. And I totally believe that to be true. I heard a guy preach one time, he did a neat little thing. He says, now you take the, you take the word Old Testament. You got three letters in old and you got nine letters in testament. And by a stroke of coincidence, that's how many books you got in the Old Testament. 39. Old Testament. Three, nine. And he says, you know what? He was preaching. Doing a good job too. And he says, I believe that the New Testament is contained in the Old Testament. And he did a little thing which I thought was neat. He said, now you take that 39 books in the Old Testament. And he says, you take three and nine and you multiply three by nine, and you get 27. And 27 will be the number of books in the New Testament. And the point he was trying to make, and made it very well that day, was the fact that the Old Testament contains the New Testament. The New Testament many times will reveal, be revealed through the Old Testament. And it's a great way to understand your Bible. And you'll find over and over again, and you, you have an Old Testament verse like Proverbs, and it will unlock a New Testament passage someplace and show you the whole concept or the whole context of what you're looking at. Now you look at verse 12, and we're going to spend some time with verse 12, and I want to show you uh, exactly a great example of this. Now verse 12 says this, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Now, you read that verse in Proverbs coming through it, you'd probably blow through that so fast you would think there's absolutely nothing to that. That's just a good, honest, true statement. And it is a true statement from a practical sense. It's simply saying that a good man will take care of his animals. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about and see it all the time. There's hardly a, a week goes by that in the uh, Kansas City Star you don't read a story about animal abuse. I, for one, you know, I, I can't wash Animal Planet. I, I, I just can't. I mean, you know, you got these dogs that get hurt or they get sick or they get bit with a snake or they get hit with a car or something happens, you know, and they keep you. I can't watch it, man. I just can't. I mean, I, I just can't watch it. I just can't. Uh, but, it, you know, animal abuse to me is a terrible thing. And it is a terrible thing. Hurting them and killing them. And like I said, as hardly a week goes by in the Kansas City Star, there's another article about it. Animals that just based on a man's cruelty and a man's lack of respect for life and for anything that is right will hurt an animal or kill an animal just for the fun of it. The last part of verse 12 says, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. What he's saying there is simply that, that uh, everything a wicked man does, everything he does is out of his cruelty. He have a, he'll have a mindset behind it to hurt somebody to do something that's not right. He's slothful. He's unrighteous. He's all about himself. I mean, come on. You got to be you got to be you got to be of a sick mind to consciously hurt something that cannot defend itself just for the purpose of showing off. I remember here a while back, you know, it's been a couple of years ago, some guy had a bunch of his friends over, you know, and they were grilling out and they were all obviously were drinking. He took a little kitten and put it on the hot grill just for the fun of it. And like a big guy that he was, like a big guy that he was. I like to see him go to Africa and try that with a black panther. <clears throat> we'll see who gets put on the grill quicker. I, I hear stories all the time, and you see pictures of them throwing dogs out of cars, you know, and don't want them. I, I get upset when I see some redneck driving around town with his dog in the back of the pickup truck. I think that's stupid. I mean, uh, you know, you got your seatbelt on, and if somebody rear-ends you, you won't go through the use. You don't got an airbag. The dog got nothing. Why don't you put the dog in the seat behind the airbag, and you get in the back and let him drive? It drives me nuts. <laughs> drives me nuts. Leaving him in a hot car. It's a week, as a week goes by that somebody doesn't lose their dog or their animal because they're going to some place, they leave him in a hot car, it gets 140 degrees in there in 20 minutes, and they come back and they say, 
Gee, I never thought it would hurt them. Never considering that, hey, animals have feelings too. And and I'm the first one to tell you, I know you can take it too far. I know you can. I I understand that. Uh, But but it first says that a righteous man wouldn't do that to an animal. A righteous man, some of you, I know you guys, you're like me. When your pets get sick, you worry about them. You take them to the vet. There have been many a times I'd like to have got my animals on my blue cross and blue shield. <laughs> I worry about they don't have water, they don't have food. I got neighbors that go off out of town and, and I have to give, I've given their dog water and food. Of course, maybe they're smarter than I am and they know they don't have to do it because stupid me will go over and do it. I don't know. But we all buy our dogs toys. My dog's got more toys than most of your kids got. We buy them bones, and we're not just satisfied with bones. We got to get the bones with the peanut butter in them, you know, or something in there that they spend all day. Comes with a direction they got to read to get it out of there. We buy them little jackets, K U, M U. I see people in the wintertime walking their dog. And the dog got a jacket. I mean, come on. Now they have seat belt that when you take your dog and he sits in the seat, you put a seat belt on him. People buy it. See, a righteous man will regard the life of it. He knows that all things that God created, from Revelation 4.11, are for God's pleasure, for his purpose. So he, he takes pleasure in the little things, cute things of life. And, and you know, we all love them. And being a saved man, uh, you, you know, you should give a respect of animals, understand their purpose in life, and, and respect it. And, you know, in a, in a, so in a practical sense, it's true. Most generally, people who really get attached to their pets and, and care for them are, are fundamentally good people. And I said, I know you can go to the extreme. I mean, uh, I, I've known people that cared more for animals than they do the souls of lost people. That's too far, you see. You got this PETA group out there, you know, that you can't do anything with an animal anymore and, you know, without getting in trouble. But the verse says that the righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. And, hey, and I can, I can understand that. You know, you, you, if you, you take care of your pets, you worry about them, and you watch out for them, it's a righteous thing. And if that's true, hey, I'm a candidate for sainthood, man. I worry about my dogs all the time. When we went to Ohio, we got to take our dogs to a place. They get, my, my two labs get a condo. I've never lived in a condo. They got indoor, outdoor. They got two beds side by side. When I go there, the first time I went, because my guys have never been away from I, I tell them, make sure they know how to get from the inside out. I want them to be, you know, and, I, and I, I worry about them. I worry about them. That's just me. And I know some of you the same way. So in a practical sense, it's true. Good people, good men who take responsibility for an animal that can't necessarily take care of itself, he'll regard the life of his beast. I've seen some of you guys. I've seen some of you guys that put on a tough exterior, you know, and nothing ever, you know, that you, you just you just never show any real emotion or anything, and you get that little puppy, and the next thing you know, it just melts your little heart. Doesn't it, Bob? <laughs> it does. Amen. I get it. I know, I know. I, I just, I just, I, I've never met a, I've met a lot of people I didn't care for, but I never met a dog I didn't like. And it's a, you know, it's just the way it is. But now, believe it or not, this verse here in Proverbs will be the key to unlocking one of the greatest stories uh, in all of the Bible on our prayer life and getting your prayers answered and getting what you want from God when it's the right thing to want. Now, here's a story, and we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 15 here. Here's a story in Matthew chapter 15, and it's, it's one of the strangest stories. I've got to tell you this before we start. It's one of the strangest stories in the Bible. Now, Matthew chapter 15, verse 22 through 28, is a story about a woman who has a need. And it's a great picture of you and me when we have a need and bring it to God, because that's exactly what she does. And in that, in this story, it's a picture of our prayer life. She had a need. She brought it to God. She had a petition. She took it to God. 
You and I have needs and petitions. We take it to God. It's an incredible story about our, a picture of our prayer life. And, and she comes to him three times. And all three times, he flatly rejects her. One of the greatest stories in all the Bible. And in this story, you have one of the, a great illustration on prayer in our prayer life. And it's one of the greatest things you'll ever see. Now, I, let me just say this in preparation for getting into this passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 tells us that we don't know how to pray. Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That verse says that there's, there's an infirmity that we all have. In fact, in the Bible, when you study it out, there's three basic fundamental infirmities that every man and every woman has. And if you really, really, really want to move your Christian life up a couple levels, find out what those three are, go to work on them. But one of them you already have, and that is the Bible says we don't know how to pray. It's an infirmity we have. Now, I call this message, and I don't title most of my messages or really any of them, but I would call this message Jesus having a really bad day. One of the strangest places in the Bible. We have a song, and I always, when my kids and I, we have a little disagreement about something, and they don't like this, or they, don't, or they get a little whiny sometimes, you know, about things, and, and I would always sing this song. Does Jesus care when my heart despairs? And they'd always say, oh, Dad, you know, and I always try to put the spiritual element in it. In this story, he doesn't care. You sing, does Jesus care when my heart despairs? Obviously, from this story, he does not. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know, we got a thing back started back in the 70s called dial-a-prayer. And dial-a-prayer was the thing where if you had a need, you had a telephone, you just dial a number. You used to see them on billboard. Dial-a-prayer. And somebody would actually answer the line. They had people staffing it all the time. And people would actually answer the phone, and you could tell them, and they would pray with you over the phone. I think it's a good thing. The atheists caught on to it, and they caught one called a dial of prayer for an atheist. And it's a phone number you call, but nobody ever answered. I think that's the number she got, because nobody's answering. This is an incredible story, incredible story. Now, let me just say this. Places like this that I'm going to show you that seem to go contrary to what we know, the way God to be, that seems to be out of character for what we know it to be. These places, when you study them out, will yield some of the greatest truths that you'll ever discover about God and a relationship that you'll want to have with them. I'm just telling you. When you find a place like this, and there's a number of them in the Bible, when you find a place like this that you find total brick wall, this lady trying to do everything she can to get something from God, and it's no every time. And even gets to the point, as you're going to see here, where it gets quite insulting. There's some lessons for us that I want us to learn today. Now, let's read it. Let's read it here. Let's read the passage. Start in verse 21. Matthew chapter 15. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, Am I not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, Is it not meet to take the children's bed and cast it to dogs? And she said, Truth, Lord, yet dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, if you're any kind of Bible student at all, and you're reading this passage, you should have picked up a couple of things that show you there's something special about this story. There's some things when I read it, and it should be with you too, you've been saved for quite a while and, and getting into the Bible, that stand out. 
You know, and that's always the thing you look for. When you get into a passage or a story in the Bible and you want to solve what is going on, you do the same thing a detective does when he comes to a crime scene. You look for clues. You look for fingerprints. You look for DNA. You look for fabric, uh, fabric fibers. You look for this. And then you put it all together and slowly the story of what really happened stands out. Well, the first thing here is found in verse 28. When he says, O woman, great is thy faith. That ought to be the first thing to jump out at us. You know why? Because in your Bible, there's only two women that are ever called great. That ought to be the first thing that grabs you. One of them is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. That would be the woman of Shunem. And the other one is here in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 28, uh, this woman here. And uh, you ought to have that in your Bible by now, but if you don't, you need to get it in. There's only two women in the Bible that the Bible says they were great. Now, let me take it to the next level. One of those women represents the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and the other woman represents the church in the New Testament. Now, the woman in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, that'll be the woman who represents the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. And the one where we're at in Matthew chapter 15, this woman's going to represent you and me as a type of the church, a Christian. Now, the second thing that I would grasp out of that coming down here is that it says that she's a woman of Canaan. She's a Canaanite. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's from the land of Ham. She's a servant of servants. Now, that should have gotten your attention because the first man in the Bible that's saved exactly like you and I are saved is a servant of servants in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. If that weren't enough, in Matthew and Mark chapter 15, verse 21, a guy by the name of Simon, who was a black man, was pulled out of the crowd to help Christ carry the cross to Calvary. And if that weren't enough, In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, when you have the model church there at Antioch, and it lists the five guys who were the leaders, two of them are servants of servants, Simon and Lucian of of Cyrene, Lucius of Cyrene. But most importantly here, as a Gentile servant of servants, she does what the scribes and the Pharisees have failed to do. Did you notice that? I mean, this lady, I understand why she's great. We're going to see even why she's great a little bit in a greater way. But I get it. This woman does what the scribes and the Pharisees have failed to be able to do. The Bible scholars of her time. She gives Christ his proper biblical titles on all levels. She comes in verse 22 and says, O Lord, that's his connection to God the Father. She says in verse 22, Thou son of David, that's his connection to Israel. And she says in verse 27, Truth, Lord, that's her connection to her relationship that she believes he tells the truth. She outdid the scribes and the Pharisees before they ever got out of bed that morning. But you know, that is so true. The common man will always get him when a learned man couldn't find him all day long. Those are some incredible things you ought to see. Now, if those things didn't grab you and get your attention, then I may suggest that you're spending a little too much time with other things. Now, let's look at this story. And the first thing I want to do is I want to look at the rejections because I think they're incredible and I think they're the key to the story. Let's look at rejection number one. In verse 22, she comes to him and she says, Have mercy on me, thou son of David. My daughter is vexed with a devil. Now, I got to tell you, that looks like a legitimate deal. That looks like an honest prayer. Nothing about herself in it. That looks like a legitimate petition. A mother who wants her child to be healed. What could be wrong with that? You know, I've prayed a lot of goofy prayers in my lifetime, and so have you. But I have to say, this lady looks legit. Now look at his response, or should I say, look at his non-response. Verse 23, but he answered her not a word. Nothing. Heaven's brass, a blank man, 
Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Not today. 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. <laughs> I must be in the reverse revision because it didn't work for her. He simply ignores her. Doesn't even bother to answer her. He acts like she's not even there. Now that's not the Jesus that I know. That's not the Jesus that I've heard about and read about. The old song says, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Other refuge have I none. Hang thy helpless soul on thee. Not here. Not here. Now look at the second rejection. Verse 23 and 24. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this is strike two. And when he, I want you to see this. When he finally says something, he doesn't even say it to her directly. He's ignoring her. When he finally does give an answer and speak, he speaks to her through the disciples. How, how much, how, how, how wrong can that be? Years ago, when I worked for a large, large church, we had a lot of different staff people. We had a woman, and some of you will probably remember, her name was Glada DeVore. How do you remember Glada DeVore? Show your age in yourself here. This has been 40-some years ago. Glada DeVore, just so you know I'm telling the truth, I have some witnesses here. Glada DeVore was in charge of the puppet ministry, remember? But she was a social retard. <laughs> now, I, I, no, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. There are people, no, 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 no. I'm going to explain myself. I'm going to explain myself. She had no skills with people. When you talked to her, she could not look at you. She'd look over here and talk to you. And to me, that's the one of the most annoying. I want to go, you know. But I knew, I'm smart enough to know that she's got some issues. She's a social retard. Now, in her office, she had 100 different puppets. And when she would get mad about something, she would refuse to talk to you even not looking at you. I remember one time I did something. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't know what she was doing. I did something, and it crossed her world, and she was upset. And she was, she'd get upset about easy things. So I go into her office. She's mad at me. And I say, Glada, I said, I, 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 just, I just found out that I did this, and I'm sorry. And she wouldn't look at me, and she had a puppet. And she says, Glada does not want to talk to you today. <laughs> Okay? You got me now? Okay. <laughs> she, she, she says, Glenn is really upset. She won't talk to you today. And I found myself trying to make this thing okay talking to a stupid puppet. <laughs> That's kind of what you got here. This woman comes, when he finally talks, he talks not to her, to the disciples. He ignores her. Oh, I mean, that's, uh, how, 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 what do you do with that? Now, uh, let me say something here. And uh, let me make it real clear that from a doctrinal standpoint, Okay. From a doctrinal standpoint in his ministry, he's, he's right. He's only going after the nation of Israel, Matthew chapter 10. I get it. But I mean, come on, man. Doesn't John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world? And she can't even get an appointment. 
when he talks to her, finally, he doesn't even talk directly to her. He's talking to another group of people. Now, this scene's an incredible one, and, you know, you have to kind of close your eyes and think of what it must look like. And uh, here's this woman who has a daughter vexed with the devil, and I'm sure she's upset. Who wouldn't be? She loves her daughter. Having a daughter vexed with the devil is a very serious thing. Most of you should know because some of your daughters act like they are. (laughs) But you know that's a terrible thing. She comes once, gets no answer. So now it seems that she takes her issue, which is a legitimate issue as far as I can see, she takes it to the disciples. And I know her reasoning. She says, you know what? Maybe I can get them to intervene for me and my daughter. Hey, I get it. I'm with you, girl. Go, 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 girl. I'm with you. And I can see it now. They're out doing the ministry, passing out tracts, whatever they did back then, you know. And she's walking along behind them, wailing and weeping and begging and all these things, you know. And I'm telling you, it'd be a lot like a Thursday night when we have Bible study and you come to me before, and you got this problem, and I'm really busy, and I'm in a hurry, and I'd say, you know what? I really can't have time to deal with this right now. And i just blow you off. Now, I would never do that, but just just say I did. So I come and try to have Bible study. Got all the tables laid out, and several people are asking questions, and I start to answer, and over in the corner, you're sitting at a table, and you're just boo-hooing so loud and wailing so loud and crying so loud that you're just disrupting the whole thing. That's what she's doing. I mean, it had to get pretty bad. Because finally, it seems that they come to the Lord and they say, Will you please, will you please give this woman what she wants so she'll leave us alone? Verse 23 says, Send her away, for she crieth after that, after us. She's, she's going to town. This lady is working every angle she can to get her daughter healed. She came to the Lord. That didn't work. She goes to the apostles, thinking that they can intervene. It's a lot like you and me. We start praying about something. We don't get the answer, so we start calling out five or six of our friends and try to get them to intervene and get on the prayer chain. I get it. I get it. I get it. I got it. Now, Now, let me just add something here. Let me just step out of the story for a minute and show you the great human aspect of this. Let me just step out for a second. Now, by this time, after two rejections, most of God's people would have left the church. They'd have blamed God for not coming through for them, not caring. They'd have got mad at the preacher. They'd have quit reading their Bible by now. They'd give up on praying and say, why? It doesn't do any good. Hey, I've heard that. Hey, we as God's people might be saved, but I won't tell you something. 99% of us know nothing about God, and we give up so easily when we don't get what we want. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, other than her, is old Zacchaeus. Old Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and he couldn't get around him because he's such a short little guy, and uh, the people were all crowded around Jesus, but he said, you know what? I got to see him. I want to see him. And, you know, so many of God's people get so discouraged so easily. But not old Zacchaeus. Old Zacchaeus, he probably middle-aged guy, he climbed up that sycamore tree like a 12-year-old boy, hung down there and looked down because he wanted to see Jesus. This woman's like that. And, hey, if the truth be known, most of God's people really don't care what God wants from them. All they really care about is what they can get from God. Seen it my way all my life in the ministry. Why, half the Christians in this city today who don't go to church anymore or don't read the Bible anymore and mad at God and mad at Christianity and Christians got there because of a situation just like this one didn't get what they wanted in the time frame that they wanted it in, and now they're mad at God. Left the church, left the Bible. 
given up on Christianity, given up on God, all because they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it, and now they're mad, they're bitter, and they're angry, and that's the state they're in today. But not this woman. She's a great woman. You want to be a great Christian? Find out what made this woman great, because she's a type of what you and I should be. After two flat-out rejections of her prayer, Look at verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There are some lessons here that we need to learn. And I'm going to show you how she used the principle out of Proverbs 12, verse 10, to get her prayer answered. But first, we got to see the third rejection. It gets better or worse. After two rejections, when we all would have left the church, been mad at God, she comes and she worships him and she says, as only a sweet, broken-hearted woman who has the burden of her daughter, who loves her daughter, who loves God, believes God, believes he's everything he says he is, and she looks up with tears streaming down her face, Lord, help me. Now, who could refuse that? Well, he does. And in the third rejection, he adds to her trouble by making it a racial issue. Yeah. He says there, he says, it's, he says I've come to the house of Israel. That's a racial issue. You know, we have a lot of racial issues in the country today, and none of them are worth, none of them are worth anything because they're all completely out of line with anything that God does. Now, let me just make a statement here. God is a racist. The black people think that uh, white people are racist, and the white people think that uh, the black people are racist. The Chinese think that everybody else is racist, and everybody thinks everybody else is racist, and it's a big race mess all the way down the line. But let me tell you something. God didn't care about the whites and the blacks and the yellows and the reds and all of their little baby race issues. You know what? The greatest racist ever walked this planet was God. You know why? He said, out of all the Gentile nations, I'm going to give one group of people all my material blessings and spiritual blessings and everything. And if you Gentile nations want to ever have a relationship with me, you've got to go to this nation. Wow. Wow. Take your bongos and go home, man. I'll tell you, that, that ruined your day. <laughs> Look at verse 26. But he answered and he said, It is not meat to take the children bread and a captive at all. The second thing he said was he made it, the number one, he made an attack on her race. Now he makes an attack on her gender. He makes a reference to her being a Gentile dog. Now, I got to just say here, she's a female. We all know the infamous B word that goes along with being a female dog. I hate to see 20 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come, what the new translations in the modern language does with this. He says, you're a female dog. And why should I take the bread that is for the children of Israel and cast it to a dog, a female dog, you fill in the blank. Not only in 26 does he make it a racial issue, you're a Gentile and I'm, I'm coming to the Jew, but now he, he references it being a Gentile dog, a female dog. Man, is he having a bad day or what? I'm glad I didn't try to get saved when he had a bad day like this. She's trying to stand on the promises. He keeps kicking her off the promises. It's a bad day. Seems that way, anyhow. Why, by now, most of God's people would have been head of Jehovah Witness. You'd be a Mormon. You'd be out there at Unitarianism this morning being Unitarianized or whatever they do out there. 
Now what follows here is a great illustration of the real meaning of having a relationship with the Word of God. And let me say, most Christians' relationship with God are tremendously inadequate. Now, I know most people don't like to hear things like that. I get accused many, many times of being negative and not positive. And I understand that that's a negative statement when you say that most Christians' relationship with God are woefully inadequate. So let me be positive about it. I am positive that most Christian relationships with God are tremendously inadequate. You can't have a relationship with God without a relationship with His Word. Over all my life, I've had, a, I've had an open-door policy because I believe it's the pastor's job to teach people the Bible. That's my job. I know I have other people do it, but they don't do it because of the fact that I won't do it. I enlist my people to help me, but there's, my door is always open to anybody. And I have a standing offer that I'll spend an hour a week with anybody who wants to come over and study the Bible. Now, that sounds wonderful. Oh, an hour with Bob to study the Bible. But when they get there when they, in the past, when they have gotten there in the past, here's how I do it. <clears throat> Obviously, I want you to learn how to learn your Bible. You know what? Teach somebody teaching you the Bible is good. But you know, you'll never really learn your Bible just by coming on Sunday morning or even coming on Thursday night. You know where you really learn your Bible? When you go home and you take apart what we talked about and you really make it real in your life and get it into your Bible. That's where you learn. And so when somebody comes over and says, I, I think they have the illusion that, well, Bob's just going to sit down and screw off the top of his head, screw off the top of my head and pour everything in and I'm just going to get all of this. That's not how I do it. I always tell them, look, you pick something you want to study. I don't care what it is. A book, this, that, whatever it is. You spend two or three weeks going through it, writing down everything you don't understand about it, and then bring it into me. We'll sit down, and you and I will put it all together, and I'll add to it, and I will push that whole thing together for you. What better deal can you get than that? You know how many people don't take that up over the years simply because they don't want to do the work. They don't want to get in the Bible. They want to just come and have somebody... Feed it to them. Just give it to them. They don't want any work involved in it. I mean, no, 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 that's too much work for me, you see. You, and, and, and what you know about the Bible, dear friends, will be in direct relationship what you know about God. You say, well, I know God. No, 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 no. You, you think you know God. You haven't got a clue because you don't know anything about his word. Putting the Bible together is putting God together in your relationship. As I said earlier, learning things about the Bible is not learning the Bible. No book, no relationship. It only in your mind. You know, I, I sometimes think how lonely God must be. Years ago, I had a parent that I was good friends with, and they had a boy who was absolutely worthless. I mean, he was absolutely worthless. He, if you want to take him out to shoot him, he would not be worth the bullet. I mean, he was absolutely worthless. He, he didn't care for his parents. He was disrespectful to his parents. He was everything in a negative fashion to his parents you could be. The only time he wanted anything to do with his parents is when he ran out of money and he came back to get something from them. And I watched his parents. They wanted to have a relationship with him. They wanted to have a time with him. They wanted to build and talk and do things as a family. He didn't want that. All he wanted from them is when I'm in a jam and I need some more bucks because no bucks, no buck Rogers, and I can't get out and do what things I want to do, then I'll come back and I'll talk to you to get some money. And I've thought to myself many times over the years, that's how God must feel sometimes with some of us as God's people. He wants a relationship with us. We don't want one with him. We just want things from him when we need it, and the only time we show up is when we need something from him. Listen, it's no wonder so many of God's people get screwed up and make the mess out of their Christian lives. Listen, the deeper you get into that book, God's mind, the deeper you get into God, every aspect of him. And after 20, 30 years, you know exactly how he works. 
You know how he thinks. You understand his patterns. You know how almost in every given situation how he works. You look at two people who've been married for 70 years. You see them at the mall. They're helping each other down the mall. <laughs> Cutest little thing. You know, they, they're about the same size now, and they picked up each other's mannerisms. If they had a game show on television, Know Your Spouse, and you put a young married couple on, and then put this older couple on, this older couple would blow them out of the water. You know why? Because after 70 years of marriage, you know what each other's thinking, what each other's going to do in any given situation, in every response, you absolutely know because you've had a relationship for 70 years and you know how that thing is going to work out. And in a spiritual sense, that's exactly what you develop after years of working to build a relationship with the Word of God and God. And you can't have one without the other. I, I've told you many times, my, one or no, my number one goal for you, for me, is for you to learn your Bible. Is to be able to have a working knowledge of the Word of God. <clears throat> I've had people tell me all my life, <clears throat> well, I don't want to really get deep into the Bible. I don't want to get into the deep things of the Bible. Then you'll never get into the deep things of God. It's that simple. You see, in our minds, we try to think, well... <clears throat> I can separate the Bible over here and have a relationship with God over here. I can have a really deep, meaningful relationship with God, but I don't have to work with the Bible. It doesn't work that way. Your relationship with him and its depth will be in direct relation to your depth in that book. You know why? That book's his mind. How are you going to get to the depth of his mind without getting to the depths of his book? It's just that simple. Now, this is what she does in Matthew chapter 15 in our story here. This woman knows her Old Testament. And she knows that no matter how many times she gets rejected, she stays with the promises of the Word of God. This woman has what I call the five P's down. The five P's are something I developed in my own life years and years ago. I don't think I ever, ever gave them to you. But I, I always have, whenever I have something, I, these five P's always have to be there. This lady's got them figured out too. The first P is the right position. She's in the right position. She knows she's a sinner. You know, when you deal with people and you start to deal with people, this is very important. Because you're going to find people in the ministry who don't meet up to your expectations. You're going to find people in the ministry that are goofy. <clears throat> You're going to find people in the ministry that are problematic. You're going to find people in the ministry that maybe you don't approve of some of the things they do or the way they do that or the way they do this. Hey, when you start to get into the ministry, you start to get in with all kinds of people. And the ministry, the key to the ministry is no matter what their quirks are, no matter how goofy they are or whatever dumb things they do, you got to give them a chance, and you got to be there to try to help them if they really want to do what's right. You can't throw out the baby with the bathwater just because they don't meet up to your expectations. Now, you know what that's called? That's called position. You know what that means? It simply means this. I look at this guy here or this girl over here or this person over here, and I think, you know what? They don't meet up to my standards. All right, let me put that in position for me. First time God looked at me, I didn't meet up to his either. I always view everybody I got to work with through the position of how I must have looked the first time God saw me. I, 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 to this day, I don't know what God saw in me. I saw everything in him, but I don't know what he saw in me. But what he saw in me was worth it because the rest of my life, when I have to work with people or deal with people, and I have to deal with some unsavory situations sometimes. I've had people that have done me wrong, done this church wrong, done this wrong, done that wrong, went out and clobbered us, me, every place, all the way. And when I think about them, you know what I think about, honestly, you know what I think about? I don't think about all the hurt and wrong they did to me. I think about the fact that what I once had with them that was right with God, and now it's gone. And I grieve over that. You see, right position will always keep you where you always know where you're at. You never get too high and mighty when somebody else, when you always realize that when God looks at you, you're a sinner from the dredges of hell and deserve to be there. She has position. 
She knows she's a sinner. I'll tell you the second thing she's got. She's got the right perspective. She not only knows who she is, but she knows who he is. And she knows he's all that she's got. Your perspective toward God ought to be that he's all that you got. Because you're going to find yourself in situations in life as a Christian where he's all that you got. I always tell people the best situation you ought to ever be in as a Christian is to be hanging out on a limb, way out on a limb on a tree, and looking back at the tree trunk, and you see Jesus standing there watching you with a smile on his face and a hacksaw in his hand. That's the best position to be in. She's got position. She's got perspective. I'll tell you something else. She's got the right persistence. She's going to stay with it no matter what. This is called steadfastness in the Bible. It's called unmovable. And she does all of these based on the fifth P. And that is she's got the right promises. God promised her he'd take care of her. You see, these five things give you the ability to believe what God has given you when you don't see it working in your life. These five things in this story give you the ability to go through life never doubting in the darkness what God gave you in the light. Now look at verse 27. And she said, now she'd been rejected three times. The last time, flat out disrespectful. And she said in verse 27, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She says, you're right, Lord. That's a great point. I am a dog. You're right on the money. You're right in everything you said. I am a dog, but Lord, I'm your dog. I am a dog, but according to Deuteronomy 22, 6, Exodus 23, 19, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 9. I know, Lord, that hasn't been written yet, but it's in your mind, so I got it back there. And oh, yeah, Proverbs 12, 10, a righteous man regards the life of his beast. You say you're a righteous man. I believe you're a righteous man, old son of David, and I am your beast. Now fulfill these promises, O righteous man, that thou am. And this is where she got him. You know what? She nailed him. Because it's with this statement that she gets her prayer answered. Verse 28 says, And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from this very hour. Now that's the principle is this. And it's a great one. She understood the number one greatest concept about God that we need to hold on to and remember no matter how dark it gets and how bad it gets, God never violates his own principles. If he said it, he has to do it. Sometimes we get so caught up that it doesn't get done in our time frame the way we want it because we're so selfish and we have really no working relationship with God. But God has promised us some things in his word and he's obligated to bring them to pass. But sometimes he does it in his own timing for his own reason. And when we really don't know him, how he thinks, how he operates, never discovered his patterns, don't know how to predict what he's going to do in any given situation from the principles in the Bible, we get discouraged and then we get mad and then we lose faith. She's a great woman. She's great because she stayed with the book. She stayed with the principle. She stayed with everything that God had given her as a promise, what she knows to be true. She never got caught up that it didn't happen when she wanted it to happen. Because she knew that him being a righteous man and her being the beast, the dog, he had to take care of it if he's a righteous man. Many times as here in this passage, God won't just give us what we need 
and what we want, even when he knows we really need it. Many times he'll use the situation to see and prove the sincerity of our love. In fact, out of this great story based on Matthew 15 and Proverbs 12, you will find five reasons why we don't get what we want when we pray when we want it. One of the greatest studies on prayer in all of the Bible. And remember, the Bible says, Romans 8, 28, that we don't know how to pray for what we ought. Now, let me give you these five things very quickly. Number one, sometimes we don't get our prayers answered because he wants to see if we're really earnest about it. See if we're really sincere what we're praying about. We use prayer today like an L.L. Bean or a probast catalog. We just order things from it from God. God, give me this. God, I need this. God, why well, don't understand why you're not doing this? God, I, you said I could call claim it. I'm claiming it and this and that. And that's what we go through. Our prayer life is not based on the word of God, but rather the will of man. There's no real understanding of God's mind because there's no real understanding of his word. No biblical thought to our prayer. No connection to anything biblically that may be going on because there's nothing going on. We're in a jam, and we just need God to get us out of this jam so we can get into another bigger jam. And sometimes he'll just hold off and get us to come to the end of self. He'll use the situation to get us to see how far out we really are from where God really wants us to be. And yet, many times, or not most of the time, we're in church every Sunday, and we carry the right Bible. Second reason. Sometimes we don't get our prayers answered because he wants to show us how helpless we are on our own. I was in Ohio. Danny was telling me a story. I didn't see it. I think it was one of the football coaches was speaking at the, it may have been at the, I don't even remember where it was, but it was a great story. He can tell you where it was. I think it was a coach. He's telling a story the way we are. A guy had a very important business meeting, and he had to get there, and he was late, and he drove into the parking lot, and the place was packed. And he's driving around, and he's driving around, and he's getting frustrated, and finally he looks toward heaven, and he says, God, if you get me into this meeting and I don't be late, Lord, if you get me a parking place, I promise you I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll do everything. And he said, oh, Lord, just help me. And the moment he opened his eyes, the lady in front of him began to pull out, and he said, never mind, Lord, I took care of it myself. That's what we do. That's what we do. We take care of ourselves. We all like to be in control. That's our, own, that's our number one problem. And that will be our biggest issue. So sometimes God puts us in a situation that we have absolutely no control over. And just lets it go for a while. Out of control for us, but totally in control for him. Like here, she has absolutely no power or control over this situation with her daughter. She's absolutely helpless. She went to Jesus. She went to the disciples. She's done everything humanly possible, and she could not get what she needed. You know, that's the way that God always wants us to be. He wants us to be helpless. Hey, I have no doubts. When I get to heaven, I'm sure there'll be things that God, I'll see that God wanted to do with me. And I'll ask God, why didn't you do it? And God said, you know what, Bob? I couldn't do it because you were just too strong. Just too strong. In Christianity, weakness in the right context is never a bad thing. In fact, the stronger you get in your relationship with him and the word of God, the weaker you'll be in this life. And that's exactly where we all should be. I've learned over the years that God has his job that he does, and I have my job that I'm supposed to do. What happens with most God's people when they don't build a relationship with God and the Word of God, you cross over, don't do your job, and try to start doing His. He'll never cross over and start doing yours. But many times when we cross over, we stop Him from doing His. Let God do His and just do yours. Quit trying to do God's job. Third thing, sometimes we need to get the selfish aspect out of our prayer. Now, this lady looks like her prayer is 100% legit, and it probably is. But, you know, sometimes we have an ulterior motive tagged on to a legitimate prayer. I always like to watch Congress. Congress will have this bill that they have to pass, and it's a legitimate bill. 
It has to get done. And everybody knows that it's going to pass and it has to get passed because it's very, very important that it does. And what those rascals will do is they'll take every pet bill that is worthless, that some interest group, that some pork, that something that has nothing to do with nothing, like building bridges under a freeway for turtles to get to the other side, and they'll tag it on to a really good bill because they know that nobody reads the bills and they pass it that way. We do the same thing in prayer. We'll have a legitimate prayer, we'll put it out, and then we'll start putting a little add-ons in. See, the difference between God and Congress, God reads the bill. Romans 28 says he reads the heart. He separates out, separates out the real motive from the false motive. And sometimes he has to get that out before he'll do what he does, and that's come down and give us the answer that we need. Fourth one. Sometimes he wants to show us that a refusal is not a, always a permanent thing. A lot of times, not getting the prayer answered when we want it has to do with God's timing. Sometimes God has something or somebody that he wants to come out of your situation that you don't see. And he wants to use the issue that you're going through. All you see is your own situation. He sees the big picture. All you see is, oh, what I'm going through. You fail to see the big picture of what God is doing on the large screen. And in his timing, he will get it all together. He wants to get you and me through our issues to somebody else who has a need. So he times it out to put all events together so you can reach someone through your trouble. But we are so self-centered and focused on ourselves that we can never see his timing and working, so we miss it. It's that old concept that I gave you back in Acts chapter 8 a while back when we preached on soul winning at Proverbs chapter 11 prepared sinner, prepared servant. God has tremendous amounts of prepared sinners, prepared to hear the gospel. What's lacking is prepared servants to take it to them. People who absolutely know nothing about how God works. How many times I've heard somebody in an argument with somebody who didn't do what the person really wanted, and that person would look at them and say, what am I, a mind reader? Ethics Christian, that's exactly what you ought to be. You ought to read God's mind because you're holding it in your lap today. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have the mind of God, the Word of God. The only way you figure out what God wants you to do on whatever level you're going to do it is to read His mind and find out what He's going to do and what He wants you to do. It's just that simple. Number five. Going through something like this will be intended to make you stronger with God, not weaker. Remember, the real mark of a mature child of God will not be when everything goes well and he has everything he wants. That's the standard thing today. We don't want any trouble. We don't want any trials. We don't want, any, we don't want to take a stand for God because it might bring us some grief. We like our Christianity nice and soft and effeminate where we never offend anybody and nobody ever gets mad at us. That's not much of a Christianity. The real mark of a mature child of God is how much you can take and then take some more and then take some more and then ask, is that all you got? The real mark of a child of God is when it all falls apart when you don't get what you want. Do you have a good enough relationship with God that you just know that no matter what, he's got some promises that he promised that in his timing, he'll get it. And if it doesn't get there in the time you think you need it, then he'll also cover the bases on that and he'll get you right where you need to be. It builds a relationship with him. It builds a trust with him. It builds the ability that God will come through for you over and over again. And after he comes through with you, I had a guy one time that went into the ministry. He was a good kid. He'd been with me about 15 years. Did a lot of good things. Learned the Bible well. Was a pretty good kid all the way around. And suddenly he got a chance to go to a church and, and be part of the ministry. And like all young guys, you know, stepping out for the first time, he was really scared. And, uh, you know, uh, he came into my office one afternoon, and he was really broke down and cried. And he says, Bobby says, you know what? He says, I'm just really, really scared. He says, I, I'm going out in a situation. He says, I've never done it before. People are going to expect things from me. And he says, I just don't 
He said he was losing faith in what he, in what he had to do. And I get it. I understand that. It's, it's a natural thing. And I told him, I said, look, here's how you look at that. I said, I've known you for 15 years. I remember when you got saved. In fact, I want you to Christ. I remember when your wife got saved. I want her to Christ. I've watched you go through everything in life, basically do everything by the book. God brought you to this point. God taught you this, taught you that, gave you this. You've handled this, you've handled that, you've handled this, you've handled this. Here's how you got to look at it. For the last 15 years, God brought you to the point where you're at now. The way you've got to look at it is this. Put those fears aside and focus on the promises and the principles. God didn't bring you this far and invest everything he did in you to have you fail now. And that's how you look at it. God comes through for you 40 times. It's a little easier to trust him on the 41st. He comes through for you a hundred times. It's real easy to trust him on the 101. But when you never let him come through because you have no relationship, I understand where the fear comes in. I understand exactly. But you can change that. Because the real mark of a mature child of God will be not when everything goes well, but when everything falls apart. Now we'll see what we're really made of. In our Christian lives, you are, uh, you know, you become so in tune with the book and God that you know what he's doing, even when you don't fully understand what he's doing. There's nobody in that Bible that started out that was a great Christian when God first started to deal with them. I don't care who it is, Moses, Noah, Abraham, any of them that ever knew what God was going to do when God told them what to do. They just believed what he was going to say. The Bible says that, that Moses endured as seeing him, him who was invisible. Many of us are like most of God's people. You just hope he knows what he's doing and worry about it all the time that he really does. Not me, boy. I've been through some things in life and I want you to know the one thing I am sure of today is the fact that he was there yesterday, he's here today, and he'll be here tomorrow. He'll always be there because he never violates his principles. So now you can see. I broke this story down in Matthew 15 almost 40 years ago. One of the first things I found when I started into the New Testament in the book of Matthew, and I found that story, and I laid that thing out over 40 years ago. And it's still with me today just as like it was 40 years ago. You know why? Because it's a true story. That thing is true. God will never violate his principles. And you see what a great story it is and how it fits with the book of Proverbs. And it builds for you what I talked about when we started, having a working knowledge with the word of God. Being able to take your relationship with God, what you learn from the word of God, and let the two of them mold together that when you face something or you deal with something or you pray about something and that prayer doesn't come textbook the way all the great guys in the pulpits tell you it will and it doesn't come that way, you can trust God and know that in God's timing and God's way, God is obligated and you hold his feet to the fire with the very principles and the word of God that he gave you. Well, we'll hold up there. Let's have a word of prayer and I'd like for you as you decide